Here's today's transformational truth. It's hard for an insecure leader to slay a secure giant. Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Here's today's transformational truth. It's hard for an insecure leader to slay a secure giant. So today we're continuing our series based on my book titled Seven Deadly Thoughts, and we're going to learn how to conquer the second deadly thought that will work very diligently to limit our life. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The second of the seven deadly thoughts is I don't have what it takes. Okay. And this is the thought that produces the stronghold of insecurity. Perhaps the greatest example of a leader in the Bible who started well but didn't finish well due to insecurity is King Saul. Not only was he handpicked by God to become the first king of Israel, he was also the son of a very wealthy and affluent father. And while Saul would have had the finest education, clothes, and houses that his father's money could buy, I don't want you to assume that Saul necessarily needed dad's help in order to become rich and famous. The Bible actually teaches us that Saul would become one of the most skilled military leaders in the entire Israelite army, which in his time brought about its own kind of fame and fortune. Okay, uh, His amazing victories on the battlefield catapulted Saul to this like rock star status, even to the point that songs were written about Saul with choruses like, Saul has killed his thousands, right? So I mean, apparently, when you put a sword into Saul's hand, he turned into this gladiator, James Bond, Terminator of combat. I mean, Saul was the man. On top of all of that, uh, the scripture indicates that Saul was most likely pretty popular with the ladies. I mean, scripture records that he was the most handsome man in Israel, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. So basically, ladies and gentlemen, Saul's LinkedIn bio might have sounded something like this, okay? Son of wealthy CEO, military combat expert, voted most likely to succeed, uh, selected as most eligible bachelor in the country, Ivy League graduate with most prestigious job in the world on deck, first king of Israel. YOLO. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. Saul appears to have everything a person would need in order to become a legendary, right? He had money, he had power, he had charisma, and he had fame. But above all else, he was chosen by God to hold the highest leadership rank in the nation. And yet, when it came time for Saul to officially step into his purpose and be crowned king, the Bible says that when they looked for him, he had disappeared. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 21. He disappeared. I mean, it, listen, after the Bible says, after they looked everywhere and they, they, they couldn't find him, they decided to ask God, God, can you show us where Saul is? Because it's coronation day. It's time for him to step into his role, his purpose, his calling. And God reveals Saul's whereabouts. And when he does it, it gets a little confusing. It gets kind of perplexing because they ask God for the location of this amazingly gifted, talented, and attractive leader. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 22, the Lord's answer is perplexing. He says, Saul is hiding among the baggage. The baggage? I mean, 
God, did you just say that Saul, the Saul, is hiding among the baggage? How could this be possible? (laughs) I mean, how could a man who was so gifted, so chosen, a man with so much power and fame, a man who was so highly thought of by both God and the entire nation, be found hiding from his purpose among the baggage? Oh, my goodness. The answer to this question is actually revealed. Five chapters later, in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 17, where the prophet Samuel confronted Saul and said, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader? You see, the problem wasn't with how God thought of Saul or even how other people thought about Saul. The problem was with how Saul thought about Saul. At some point on his journey, King Saul picked up this this deadly thought that says, I don't have what it takes. And as it turns out, the entire time Saul was swinging his sword and building his leadership resume, he was also fighting a battle that nobody could see on the inside against an enemy called insecurity. And Saul was losing. Now, insecurity is defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as a lack of confidence, a lack of assurance, or a state of instability. And Israel's first king embodies all of the above. Now, Let me be clear about this point. Whether we want to or not, we all manage to pick up some baggage along the way in life, right? We all have insecurities. But there's a huge difference in having insecurities and leading through them and and, and acknowledging them and healing from them versus insecurity having us. Huge difference to the point that insecurity determines our decisions. And insecurity determines the relationships we build. And insecurity determines the, the, the dreams that we're willing to dream for our ministry, our life, our future, our family. Okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, We get hurt. Life happens. But I have discovered that it's often not the baggage itself, but rather how we choose to deal with the baggage that will determine the outcome of life. Because if we don't face our insecurities and deal with them head on, then just like Saul, whenever a God-ordained opportunity comes your way, the unchecked presence of insecurity in your life will cause you to run and hide among your own baggage. Okay, And insecurity is sort of like this obnoxious and uninvited house guest. It, it just won't leave on its own. Okay, there's only, there's only one way to get it out of your life, and that is to face it. That is to confront it. That is to acknowledge that it is there and deal with it head on. But this is where things can get kind of tricky, right? Because insecurity, by its very nature, does not want to be confronted. In fact, it doesn't even want to be detected. It will do whatever it takes to remain off the radar in the dark corners and recesses of our lives because it doesn't want to have any unpleasant encounters that might shed light on on its uh, presence in our lives. Uh, So to make this healing process even more challenging has been my experience, both on the giving and receiving end, for the record, that insecurity doesn't receive correction as protection, but rather as rejection. Okay, let me say that again. Insecurity doesn't receive correction as protection, but rather rejection. Okay, because God designs correction to be protection. But when we're wrestling with insecurity, or insecurity is calling the shots in our lives, every time someone lovingly comes to identify it or correct us, we will receive that as rejection. And when you feel rejected, then you reject. So when we sense that our insecurities are about to be confronted, we usually resort to doing exactly what Saul did, and we end up hiding among our own baggage. And this is why an insecure leader will never slay a secure giant. I don't know what your dreams are. I don't know what dreams God has placed in your heart. I don't know what your purpose or calling is, but it's going to be nearly impossible to achieve it unless we're willing to face our insecurities head on and heal from them. Okay, 
This is so important. An insecure leader will never slay an insecure giant, not because he's not able to, but because he doesn't think he's able to. His perception of himself has been so poisoned by this stronghold of insecurity and the thought that I don't have what it takes. All right, so, so let's take a look at just three symptoms of insecurity. All right, number one, a codependent craving for affirmation. All right, listen, we all need affirmation sometimes. In fact, I think affirmation is healthy. I think affirmation has healing properties. I really do. I think affirmation is biblical. In healthy doses from the right people, it can actually serve to help us heal from that insecurity. But insecurity itself can often produce an unhealthy codependent craving for affirmation, right? It's like um, it's like morphine or, or any other prescription-level painkiller. Uh, prescribed by the right person in the right dose, it can be very, very helpful, right? It can help to alleviate old pain, but too much of it can produce an addiction to it. And it can take a good thing and make it unhealthy until eventually our insecurity will cause us to become addicted to the drug of affirmation. Yeah. So much so that that if we don't get enough of it, we get offended, right? Or if I don't get affirmed by somebody that I ran into that day, or I worked with that day, or I talked to that day, I'll walk away and I feel like my whole day's ruined and I can't go on the rest of the day and I'm in a bad mood and I, my sense of worth and my sense of value is challenged simply because I did not receive enough of this drug of affirmation to keep me going today. And the fallout, of course, is not only that I lose my joy and peace, but I end up unintentionally pushing people away from me. All right. Number two, comparison and competition. Listen, insecurity is going to lie to you, and it's going to tell you that you've always got something to prove. Constantly, okay? And you're going to end up turning everything into this unhealthy competition. You'll compete with your spouse. You'll compete with your peers. uh, You'll compete with the people you work with, your family. I mean, the people you worship with at church. Everything's going to turn into comparison and competition. Now, here's here's why this is uh, dangerous, right? Because Comparison and competition will turn friends into foes, right? You'll start to be indifferent towards people that could be in your life, that could be uh, adding life to your life and adding value to your life and vice versa. Why? Because it's hard to be in relationship with someone you're in competition with. All right, number three, a lack of teachability. And this doesn't have to be in every area of your life, just the area you feel the most insecure, because you can be totally teachable in one area of life and completely unteachable in another. Now, here's the irony, okay? The irony is that the area you feel the most insecure is often the place you pretend to be the most secure, but it's often the place that you reject being taught, all right? Uh, You know, I've seen it in my own life over the years. I've seen it in the lives of of others around me over the years. Like, everyone's like, I want to stay teachable. I want to be teachable, right up until someone tries to teach you in the area that you feel the least secure. And here's what I've discovered, okay? Our lack of teachability will eventually cause our ability to become a liability. Let me say that one more time. Our lack of teachability will eventually cause our ability to become a liability. What do I mean? I don't care how gifted we are, how talented we are. If I stop allowing myself to be taught, if I'm not humble enough to receive correction, if I'm not humble enough for somebody to come alongside of me and help me identify my blind spots, then here's what's going to happen. I might have the gift or the talent to walk through a door, but I will not have developed the character or self-awareness to stay in the room. Right. Because when it comes to the enemy's trap of insecurity, you know you've been caught when you can no longer be taught. All right. So the Bible says that after Saul had spent over a month hiding among the baggage, I'm referencing now his 
conflict with Goliath. The Bible says literally uh, Saul was leading the armies of Israel, and for a month he didn't make a move. He didn't do anything. And every day Goliath came out shouting his insults and challenging the armies of Israel. Uh, the guy that should have gone out to face Goliath was Saul. He was the king of Israel. He was, he was the guy who had killed his thousands. Uh, but here's what uh, insecurity will do. If you don't check your insecurity, as you go through life, you'll end up doing what Saul did. You'll end up hiding from something you should be conquering. Okay. You'll end up uh, avoiding things that you should be resolving. Right. And so here's what the Lord does. He sends a young, short, inexperienced shepherd boy named David to the battle line. So despite the fact that his brothers, King Saul and Goliath, had all talked a ton of trash to David in order to convince him that he couldn't beat this giant, he didn't let any of them talk him out of his destiny. Okay, this is important. Though smaller, though less equipped, though less experienced, David managed to kill the giant in one shot. He did in a day what Saul was not able to accomplish in 40 days. That's the power of shedding deadly thoughts and thinking higher thoughts like your heavenly father thinks about you. You know, the Bible says, the Lord says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. That's not just a verse of comfort where we know that God is in control when we don't understand what is happening. I truly believe with all of my heart. This is also a moment where God is saying, hey, who taught you how to think such low thoughts? I I want you to think higher thoughts like your father thinks. I created you. Uh, you're my creation. I want you to start thinking more like I think. And when David did that, when David thought highly of his God, and then by default, he thought more highly of himself. I mean, he knew who his God was. And so he knew exactly who he was. Did you hear that order? That's vital. He knew who his God was. And so he knew who he was. This short, ruddy, this unassuming shepherd boy who found his identity and security in the Lord managed to do in a day what Saul hadn't been able to do in 40. And that's the power of thinking higher thoughts. Okay. But, ladies and gentlemen, despite this amazing victory, please don't think for a moment that David did not struggle with his own baggage, because that would be a mistake. Listen, the Bible actually teaches us uh, that not only was David the run of the litter, but he was often misunderstood and antagonized Okay, by his brothers, by his own father. Did you know that his own father did not affirm him? I mean, his own father did not believe in him. When it came time to select the next king of Israel, when the prophet showed up and said, God told me that one of your sons is the next king, uh, the Bible says that David's dad called in all of his brothers, but he didn't call in David because he did not believe in David's ability to lead. So he's rejected by family, he's rejected by brothers, rejected by Friends that cared about him, listen, have you ever felt the sting of rejection from people you loved and respected? Did you ever have a spouse or a sibling or a parent not believe in you? Let me tell you something. All of these things feel like rejection, and rejection is the worst kind of pain. But there is hope. Because we can all take a lesson out of David's book. You see, the scripture tells us that just before young David took the field of battle to defeat Goliath, he did something that changed the game, and it gave him the upper hand. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 22, I love this. The New American Standard Bible <clears throat> says it this way. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. <laughs> My goodness. David left his baggage with the baggage keeper. He could not go into battle carrying the extra weight of offense, carrying the extra weight of fear, carrying the extra weight of insecurity. So he made a choice to release it to the Lord. And by releasing it, he tore down those limiting beliefs and started aligning his thoughts with his heavenly father's thoughts towards him. Let me ask you a question. What giants could you slay if you left your baggage with the baggage keeper? Hmm? I mean, what would your marriage look like 
What would your relationship with your children look like or your career? What would your ministry look like if, like David, you made up your mind that your past is not going to keep you from your future and you left your baggage with the baggage keeper? Well, that's, that's fine, Travis, but how, I mean, how do, how, do, how do I actually go about doing this? Uh, I think there's a few things practically you can do. Number one, rediscover your God. Rediscover your God. You see, one of the things that, that separated David from Saul was, was while Saul was seeking position, David was seeking God. The Bible says that David was out on the field and he was writing love songs to God and he was meditating on God's character and God's nature and God's qualities. This is incredible. Now, here's the good news on this side of the cross. Uh, once you put your faith in Jesus, you don't have to look far for God. He lives in you. You can't get much closer than that. And when you begin to meditate on who your God is, when you study the scripture and discover who your God is and his character, his love for you, his goodness, uh, his graciousness, his abundant nature, all of the abundant good thoughts he thinks towards you, when you begin to meditate on your God, you have a healthier perception of not only who he is, but now who you are because you are his creation. Wow. Incredible. Number two, remind yourself that you are not what you have done. You are what Christ has done for you. Okay, because insecurity can always be traced back to a lack of identity. And as long as you tie your identity to your activity, you'll always wrestle with insecurity. You are who Christ says you are, period. Okay, number three, see a counselor or a therapist. Oh, come on, Travis, really? Uh, I got to see a counselor or therapist. You don't have to, but I think you should. In fact, can I tell you something? Uh, almost every high-impact leader I personally know sees a therapist or counselor regularly. It's built into their life. Why? Because every single one of us has pain, and every single one of us has insecurities. Every single one of us needs somebody who knows how to help us step into our own healing. Listen, people who have been trained and educated in the areas of therapy or counseling have the skills to help us walk backwards and heal so that we can move forwards and win. They have a unique map. And they can lead us back to the points of our pain, face them, address them, heal from them, and then we can move forward and lean into our purpose. All right. Uh, number four, last one. You have to make a conscious decision to leave your baggage with the baggage keeper. I'm talking about something spiritual right now. I'm talking about inviting Jesus into your fears, inviting Jesus into your insecurities, and choosing to give those to him on a spiritual level. And simply saying something like, Lord, you already know all about my fears and insecurities. For years, I've let those prevent me from moving into your purpose and destiny for me. And today, I'm choosing to give them to you. Now, let me tell you something from experience. You might have to do that again tomorrow. Yep. And you might have to do it the day after that. But can I tell you something? If you stay on the journey, the day will come when you look around for the baggage to hand over to Jesus. It's just not going to be there. Because you walked upon this path of healing. And it's not that necessarily you don't have any insecurities, but you know what? You're going to wake up one day and realize insecurity no longer has you. <laughs> oh, and you can get back to peace. You can get back to joy. You can get back to that sense of fulfillment. So let's recap today's transformational truth, okay? It's hard for an insecure leader to slay a secure giant. If you'd like to grab your own copy of Seven Deadly Thoughts, you can find it online at Amazon.com. And if transformational truths is helpful to you, Please do me a favor, take a moment, go to Apple iTunes, rate the show, and write us a quick review. I want to help you restore the joy to your life and your leadership. Until next time. 